Well, welcome, Everlast. How are we doing tonight? We doing good? Awesome. Uh, well, my name is Tina. Uh, I'm the Young Adults Coordinator here at Everlast. Uh, my husband is Kevin, who is our Young Adult Pastor. And uh, if you're new tonight, we just want to say we are glad that you are here uh, and you are welcome. And uh, tonight we are starting a brand new series called Short Books. Uh, where we will be going through the shorter books of the Bible. Tonight, uh, we're going to start off with a book that I like to call short-ish, um, because it isn't necessarily the shortest book in the Bible, uh, but it is relatively short with it being only six chapters. Uh, the book we'll be going through tonight is the book of Galatians. Uh, and yes, we're going to be going through the whole book of Galatians. So, uh, we're going to do somewhat of an overview tonight, uh, going through chapters one through six. Uh, by the way, tonight's teaching is going to be a little different uh, than our typical teaching here at Everlast. Uh, tonight's going to be a little bit more of a study. And so uh, you should have some outlines. Uh, if you need one, you can share with the person on your left or right. I'm sure they'd be happy to share with you. So uh, you can use that as reference. That'll be helpful as we uh, cover a lot of information in a short amount of time. So uh, I definitely encourage you to get out something to write with, take some notes, lots of info coming your way, but it's going to be awesome. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter one. While you're turning to Galatians chapter one, we're going to pray and then dive on in. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you tonight. God, we ask that your will would be done in and through this place. Lord, we're excited to hear from your word, specifically in the book of Galatians, God. Lord, I just pray, uh, I pray tonight just for our attention span, Lord, as uh, we really are covering a lot of information. God, I ask that you would help us and continue to allow us to be attentive to what you have to say through your word. God, I pray that um, you would speak to us tonight. God, that you would speak through me tonight. And God, that you would speak to me tonight as well. God, uh, I pray for all of our hearts, Lord, that all of us would leave here tonight uh, with more understanding of who you are as our Father. And God, that we would be thinking much more about you as we walk through these doors tonight. Lord, we need you. God, we love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Kevin and I have the privilege of getting to do uh, premarital counseling with uh, different couples. We've done premarital counseling uh, over the last few years now uh, here at CWC and back in Texas at our former church. And we absolutely love doing premarital counseling. Uh, it's a great, way to, a great way to prepare for things that may not cross your mind when it comes to marriage. And so we love doing it. And uh, a couple months ago, we were with a couple, and one of the questions that was asked in this particular session was, are there moments in your relationship where performance is the motivation in order for the other person to like you. Basically, are you doing things to gain the other person's love? And that, led, that question led to a really great conversation because honestly, all of us in the room could ask ourselves that question. 
whether that's pertaining to friendships, uh, relationships that we currently have. Uh, Do I do certain things or perform in order to be liked or to gain that person's love? It's honestly this works-based type mentality. I do these things in order to try and gain or win their love. And so as we were discussing with this couple, we talked about how in reality, we should do things for the other person because we love them, because they love us, right? Not because we are trying to gain their love. But what's interesting about that is oftentimes in our human nature, we do that with Christ. For those who are believers, we can have this false belief at times that in order for Christ to love me, I have to do these works. I have to do these things in order to be approved, accepted, and loved by God. And yet this is exactly what Paul talks about in this letter to the churches of Galatia. Actually, this is Paul's major point of this letter, which is that Paul defends the gospel of faith against the gospel of works. Paul says that for those in Christ, we are already approved by God, that there is nothing more we can do to secure our salvation. Our salvation is sealed the moment we choose to place our faith in Jesus. And that is exactly what Paul is talking about in this letter to the churches of Galatia. So as we go through this short letter, you will see this theme of Paul defending the gospel of faith against the gospel of works. So before we dive in, let me just give you some brief info here in relation to Galatians. This is the only letter of Paul that specifically addressed, uh, is specifically addressed to a number of churches. Galatians 1 verse 2 says, to the churches of Galatia. Not the church of Galatia, but to the churches. There's plurality here, meaning multiple churches. There's more than one. Uh, Galatians is sort of a mini book of Romans. It takes those same themes in Romans written about in length, such as justification by faith, and then highlights those. Uh, In this book, the word law appears 32 times. The word faith appears 21 times. The reason for that is Paul is writing about the difference between trusting the law and relying on faith in Christ. That really is the theme of Galatians, right? That we are no longer under the law, but we are saved by grace through faith alone. Personally, if I wrote the book of Galatians, which I obviously did not, we'll give credit to Paul, uh, I would title it, You Are Free. There is liberty, there is freedom in Christ, which means freedom from the law. And so you can divide this book up into three sections. So we're going to go through all three sections tonight. First section uh, is split up by chapters one and two, which is the gospel of grace defended. Uh, Paul does this through his personal experience, which we'll see here in a, in, in a few. Uh, the second part is chapter three and four, the gospel of grace explained. Uh, Paul's going to explain justification by faith, uh, not by works in Christ. He's going to go through this doctrine. Doctrine. Uh, The third part is split up by chapters five and six, which is the gospel of grace applied. This is going to be the practical or application uh, piece here, that that the doctrine of grace leads to good work. So we're going to cover all that, uh, but that's what you're in for tonight. Uh, So with that, let's dive into the tone of this letter a little bit. 
If you've read any other letters that Paul has written, uh, this one's a little different in the fact that Paul normally has a customary uh, thanksgiving, right? Thanks be to God. I thank God in my remembrance of you. There, there's a customary thanksgiving that, thanksgiving that you normally see with Paul's letter. However, this letter in particular uh, is not the case. Paul's tone is much, much different here. Paul's tone, uh, in fact, uh, here is really harsh. Paul immediately rebukes the churches of Galatia. He straight up, uh, right off the bat, calls them out. And the reason for that is Paul has received a report that the Galatian churches were suddenly being taken over by false teaching. So Paul is upset, and rightly so. Paul had spent time teaching the good news of the gospel, and now this region of Galatia uh, were listening and believing these false teachers who were coming in and leading them astray. Now the question is, who were these false teachers? Well, they were a group of people who had come to Galatia who were known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers claimed to be followers of Christ, but they were very legalistic. They believed that if you want to get right with God, you have to, yes, come through Christ, but also go through the regulations, keep the Jewish rituals, a.k.a. the Jewish laws, and receive Christ as Messiah. So Paul's angry, right? Because these Judaizers have come in and are now trying to add something to the gospel. They're saying, hey, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but it isn't enough to just have faith in Jesus. Instead, it's that you have faith in Jesus plus all these other things. Uh, Some of y'all have heard this before, but the Judaizers are basically teaching this false gospel of Jesus plus something equals everything, which is false. The Bible teaches Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything meaning salvation. And listen, when we add Jesus plus something else, what we are saying is that Jesus isn't enough. That that what Jesus did on the cross isn't enough to cover my sin. I have to do all these other works, all these other things in order to be made right with God. And that's what the Judaizers were coming in and teaching. That's what was happening. In fact, Paul would go into a region or territory that had not heard the gospel before. Paul would share the background of the law in the Old Testament And then he would share how Christ came to fulfill that law. And then the Judaizers would come in, and I love how one author said it. He said the Judaizers would come in not trying to win people over to Christ, but instead trying to wean people from Christ. And that's what was happening. And so I just want you to imagine that for a second, right? Because that would be like you planning a church. All the hard work that goes into that, the labor, years upon years, uh, the church is growing, the gospel is being shared, uh, brought forth, people are coming and getting saved. You've, you've made relationships with these people. And then God calls you to another mission. You leave and find out very quickly that false teachers have come in and distorted the gospel. That, that they're teaching the opposite of what you have spent time sharing about the good news of Jesus. You should be upset, and rightly so. You would be angry, frustrated. You should be like fuming even. And that's what we see here with Paul. Look at Galatians chapter one, verses six through nine. 
He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who troubled you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the, to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. We can clearly see Paul's tone here, right? He's not pleased. He is frustrated that they're turning to different gospel. Not only that, he's like, that didn't take very long. Right? He says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace and are turning a grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Paul's like, dudes, dudettes, that was quick. And Paul says, listen, there are some who want to distort the gospel of Christ. They, they want to pervert it. And these Judaizers are twisting, they're misleading people from the true gospel of Christ. And because of that, Paul is saying, hey, you're going in the opposite direction. You're actually going back to the law. You're going back to something that isn't good. You're going in reverse. You're going back to where you started. And let me just give you an example of what that would look like. I got a speeding ticket in college uh, that I got in the state of Oklahoma. I was going a little fast, uh, enough to where I was so far over the speed limit, I had to appear in court, okay? Just give you that idea. Uh, and so I couldn't just pay off the ticket, right? I had to show up in front of a judge and plead my case. The thing was, if I was guilty, I was gonna have to pay a hefty fee, take a defensive driving class or course, and my insurance is gonna go up. Which, by the way, my parents paid for that, so I, that was, that's a whole nother thing, right? So I appear in court, uh, my name finally gets called, I show up to the little podium and I say, yes, I was speeding, but to be fair, I didn't know the speed limit, I was coming home from college to visit my family. And he said, well, what college did you go to? And I said, Oklahoma State University. And he smiled at me and he said, me too. And y'all, I, I can't make this up, he looked at me and said, you're free to go. And here's what he did. He significantly, uh, significantly decreased my uh, speed limit so I wouldn't have to pay as much. I didn't have to go to defensive driving. My insurance didn't go up. Basically, it was a here's a warning, you're free to go. Couldn't believe it, you're free to go. But here's the thing, if I was operating like the Galatians, going back to the law, that the total opposite direction, being misled to a different gospel, how that would have played out, instead of me accepting that free gift to go, that would be like me saying, nope, uh, sorry judge, that, that's not good enough. I, I think you need to add more works for me to do. I can't just go free. I mean, I, I, I've done, I've gotta do these things. I need to do defensive driving, I need to pay. I, I need for my insurance to go up so I can pay more. Otherwise, I'm guilty. And that's what the Judaizers were doing. They were misleading and teaching the Galatians to believe that you have to do these extra things. Otherwise, you aren't made right with God. You, you aren't truly free. And Paul is saying, no, you're free to go. You don't have to do all these things in order to pay the ticket. You're good. Why? 
because Christ paid the ticket for you. Christ did the work for you on the cross, paying your ticket, AKA sins that you committed. And Paul is saying in Christ, because of Christ and the work he accomplished on the cross, you're free. Yet the Galatians were going in reverse, believing I have to do works in order to be forgiven, to be accepted, to be saved. And it's interesting, right? Because at times we do the same thing, that that there's this natural tendency in us to add something. If I don't clean myself up before approaching God, then he won't forgive me. I have to go 10 days without doing that specific sin, otherwise his grace won't count. And we tend to try and add something to the work that Christ did for us by means of the cross. That that there's something within us that if I add something, then I'll be better that then God will love me more. Listen, it's hard for human nature to accept a free gift. And yet scripture tells us in Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 2.16 is going back to what we talked about earlier, which is that Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And yet the men of Judea were opposing this, saying, hey, not so fast. Again, it's good that you believe in the Messiah, but if you don't do this, keep these rules, do these things, and you aren't truly saved. So Paul was rightly angry, uh, was very angry, and he goes into chapter one, verse eight, uh, which you can go back, chapter one, verse eight. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now, that word accursed in the Greek means a person or thing doomed to destruction, damned and devoted without hope of being redeemed. That's pretty extreme doomed to destruction, no hope uh, of being redeemed. Paul, that seems kind of intense. But that's how serious Paul takes this false gospel that is being preached. Let him be accursed. And I think it's interesting here too that Paul uses an angel here because listen, if an angel appeared to you, you would be amazed, uh, in awe, maybe even fearful, right? You would want to listen. It's an angel. Surely what they have to say is profound. It's important. And yet Paul says, hey, even if it's an angel that shows up in your bedroom, you better ask questions. You better make sure that what that angel is saying lines up with the truth of scripture. You make sure that what is being preached lines up with the truth of the gospel. If whoever shows up, human or angel, and preaches you a different gospel, Paul says, let him be damned and let him be accursed. Paul is not sugarcoating this or being gentle with his words here. There's a seriousness when it comes to the gospel. And that's why in this letter, he immediately corrects the Galatians. uh, And Paul uh, is definitely going to correct where correction needs to take place. And he even does this with Peter, continuing on in chapter two, uh, verses 11 through 21, that that specific passage right there. uh, Paul ends up having an encounter with Peter where he has to correct Peter on the matter of freedom from the law. And so it says in chapter two, like uh, I'm gonna summarize this in verse 13, that Peter was being hypocritical. So what would happen is Peter would act like a Jew when the Jews were around, 
But when Gentiles were around, he's hanging out with the Gentiles and compelling them to live like the Jews. And so Paul calls them out on it. Uh, Verse 14, look at what it says. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Uh, What Paul's doing here is he's calling them out and says, your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. Uh, Basically saying your behavior, actions, the things that you, uh, the things that you're doing are out of step with the truth of the gospel, which everlast is important because listen, the gospel doesn't just reflect our beliefs, it reflects our actions. Peter's actions in these verses were contradicting the gospel. His actions were preaching another gospel, so Paul corrects him. And I love this everlast because it's not just what we say with our words, but what we are doing with our actions. A great question to ask is, 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 is my action, is, is our actions in step with the truth of the gospel? Well, what are our actions saying about what we believe about the gospel? Paul says, don't be hypocritical. Peter, your actions are reflecting what the Judaizers are preaching. That this works-based faith And this is not the good news of Jesus, right? So throughout chapters one and two, Paul calls out false teaching. He defends the true gospel, um, the gospel of grace, which now leads us to the second section of the book. This is the gospel of grace explained, right? So he just spent the entire uh, entirety of chapters one and two correcting them, uh, defending the true gospel, but now is going to give them explanations for grace through faith. So here we go, part two. Uh, starting in verse one, chapter three. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, Paul's tone continues here. He straight up calls them foolish. By the way, that word foolish is translated as unintelligent, unwise. Another word for that is stupid. (laughs) Verse three, Paul is saying, are you so foolish? Are you so stupid? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul's like, this doesn't even make sense. Paul's logically thinking here, if you can't be saved by the law, why would you go back to it? Why why would you go back to something that never did anything for you in the first place? Right, it's like a hamster uh, on a wheel. They're going, but they're going nowhere. Lots of work is happening, but there's no end result. Paul is saying this doesn't make sense. And by the way, this is the first reasoning we see in this chapter for Paul's explanation of grace through faith. Reasoning number one, again, why would you go back to something that can't save you in the first place? Paul then lists a second reasoning, an explanation of the gospel of grace. And he does this by using Abraham. So look at verse five. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's continuing verse seven. So now Paul is using Abraham to remind the churches of Galatia of Abraham's faith in God alone. 
He says, just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Listen, let me tell you what Paul's doing here. He's taking them all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham basically tells God, you've given me no children. What are you going to do? And God tells Abraham, Abraham, hey, look up at the stars. Can you count them all? If you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And in verse six of chapter 15, it says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Y'all, it is referring to the same verse in Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Listen, Paul is reminding them that in that moment, Abraham believed God and then was justified, made righteous. And in other words, he was made right with God. There's a genuine faith justified, uh, this genuine faith justified him in God's work, sorry, in God's eyes, not his works, not the law, right? It doesn't say Abraham believed the Lord and did all these things and then he was credited God's righteousness. No, it says Abraham believed God, counted to him as righteousness. God saved Abraham in that moment because Abraham believed in him. And y'all, that's exactly how it works with Jesus, Abraham was justified by faith and the same principle applies to us today. It is by faith alone that we are made right with God, not by works. Now, this is worth mentioning and we're gonna talk about this a little closer to the end of tonight, but I wanna mention this because you may be thinking, well, does that mean I don't have to show any works? I can just trust in God and, and no works of faith are to be done or shown? Well, no. Again, it's not faith plus all these works in order to be made right with God. But listen, once you've placed your faith in Jesus, your life will start to change. It will produce this transformed life that will then result in good works. In fact, if you go to the book of James, James addresses this in chapter two. And if you read chapter two, at first glance, there's a specific verse. If you read it, it seems to say, uh, James is saying, Uh, that he's teaching salvation through faith plus works. But that's not the whole argument or context of what James is saying. James is saying that faith without works is dead. James is is not saying that justification by faith plus works, doing all these extra things saves you, but that a person who is truly justified by faith will have good works in his or her life and that works are an outward show of genuine faith in Christ. It's not that I have to do these extra things in order to be saved. It's once I've placed my faith in Christ, good works will produce in in my life because I know Jesus. Again, it's only faith in Christ that saves you. Paul says, look at Abraham. It wasn't works that saved him, it was trusting in God. It was faith that he was justified. Third explanation, which is gonna be found in verses 10 through 14. The third explanation that Paul gives is that Christ has redeemed all who trust in him from the curse of the law. Read with me verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying we see that the law requires strict and 
perfect obedience. Which means what Paul is saying is that if you aren't perfect, which by the way, uh, no one is, right? If you aren't perfect, perfect, then you aren't able to do all the requirements of the Mosaic law. And because you aren't able to do all the requirements of the Mosaic law, then the law actually brings you a curse. Because again, the law requires this strict and perfect obedience. That, that's Paul's point here. N no one is perfect. And therefore, no one can keep up all the laws. So listen, if you rely on the law, if you operate uh, the, by the law, under the law, it's a curse because there's no way you can keep them all. And yet he goes on in verse 13 and says, hang on, I have a solution. And here's the solution, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through, through faith. Everlast, this is huge. For, for those in Christ, we are no longer cursed or under the law because of what Christ did for us, right? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's all because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, right? He became the substitution for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so you may ask, well, what was the purpose of the law then? But why do we need the law if he came to fulfill the law? Well, going down to verse 19, Paul says to the Galatians, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an interme intermediary. Go to down to verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Here's the thing. You want to know what the purpose of the law is? The, 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 the purpose of the law was meant to show our sin, to expose our sin, so that when we would see our sin for what it really is, we would see our need for Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross. That's the point of the law. Uh, I've heard this analogy many times. You may have to, but it's so applicable when it comes to the law and what it's meant to do when it comes to exposing our sin. So great analogy. If you've ever broken a bone, anyone ever broken a bone? Wow, we have a lot of safe people in the room. Cool. <laughs> analogy will still work. Uh, if you've ever broken a bone, your next step, if you want it to heal correctly and not be in excruciating pain, is to go to the doctor, right? You, you're you're going to have to go to the hospital or see a doctor who's able to do an x-ray on you. So listen, you get the x-ray done. The doctor comes back with pictures, and is gonna show you where the break took place, where you broke the bone. The x-ray is revealing the problem. That's the benefit of the law, to expose the problem, to show you the break. Listen, the x-ray itself cannot fix the break. An x-ray picture can fix, uh, can't fix your issue. It can only expose the problem. It's just like the law. It can only expose the problem, AKA your sin. It does not fix it. That's why in verse 24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified. The law is meant to drive men and women to faith, not save them. 
The law only instructs God's people on his holiness. Listen, making it very clear that there is no way any person, no matter how good they are, can stand on their own works before God. You are not perfect. No one is. No one can keep the laws. Therefore, the law reveals our sin by then pointing us to the cross. Galatians chapter 4 Verses four through six says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Everlast, the reason you are no longer bound by the law is because of Christ's death and resurrection. We are now free, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And Paul reminds the Galatians of the truth of the gospel of faith in Jesus alone. He explains that we are adopted as sons of God because of his, because of his son's death on our behalf. Because of Jesus, who accomplished the workforce on the cross, because of Jesus, we are no longer bound or under the law. We are free in Christ. He is the solution. And because of that, we don't have to do all these extra things, all these extra works in order to be made right with God. Christ did the work for us, right? We simply have to believe in Christ, trust in him, put our faith in him, and then therefore we are made right with him. And that's what Paul is getting, out here, getting at here. Christ came to fulfill the law once and for all. which leads us to our uh, third and final section, chapters five and six. This is the gospel of grace applied. Uh, this is gonna be the practical application uh, piece of finishing Galatians. So the last few chapters, just to go over an overview, we just covered Paul has defended the gospel of grace and then he explains the gospel of grace. Now he ends this letter wanting the Galatians to know how to apply this truth. How does the truth of the doctrine of grace through faith in Jesus play out as we apply it to our lives? Paul wants them to know, how, how do I apply this truth? Paul wants them to know this because listen, there are times, uh, there's this misconception when it comes to grace that if you tell people all they have to do is believe in Jesus, then their response is gonna go, I'm gonna live this crazy disobedient life. Right, that they'll indulge in sin and take advantage of the free gift of salvation. And this is what the Judaizers believed. You can't just tell people they only have to believe in Christ in order to truly be saved. They also need the law. Listen, they need strict parameters and boundaries. That They believe the law was necessary in order to keep people from being disobedient. If you just believe in Jesus without the Jewish law, then you're gonna take advantage of it. But listen, the thing is when you come to know Jesus and the grace that Christ offers, you want to obey. I heard it once said, when you understand true grace and salvation by faith in Christ alone, you don't turn into a rebel, you turn into a disciple. Paul's point was that God's grace will do in a person what the law could never do. And Paul wants us to make sure that the, uh, to make sure that the Galatians know this. Galatians chapter five, verse one says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
Listen, God sets us free from the law and therefore God's grace alone won't make you consumed with sin or indulged in the things not of Christ. Instead, it will transform you into becoming more like Christ. Verse 13 says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Everlast, I love this. Because Paul is making, uh, Paul's really driving the point home here. He's saying freedom in Christ is meant to make you a servant. It's meant to transform you into becoming more like Jesus, who didn't come to be served, uh, who didn't come to serve, but to, who didn't come to be served, but to serve. Paul is saying don't use your freedom to now operate in the flesh. Your freedom now in Christ is used to become more like Christ. Uh, If you'll go down with me to verse 16, Uh, through 18, Paul writes, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Listen, Paul's letting them know because you are now in Christ, there's a battle that is going on. And you have two natures as a believer, the old nature you were born with and the new nature you were born with at your second birth. What is a second birth? Your second birth, of course, is salvation in Christ. You now have a new nature and because of that, there's this battle that's going down, right? Before Christ, you would have just sinned and done whatever you wanted to do, doesn't matter. But now that you've come to Christ, now that you have the Holy Spirit residing within you, there there is a battle going on. One side you have the flesh, uh, the other side is the spirit. And listen, they are at constant war against each other. They're opposing one another. Uh, Reread verse 17, it says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you wanna do. Uh, This verse is major. Notice uh, Paul does not just simply talk about the spirit opposing flesh and flesh opposing spirit as though we somehow are innocent bystanders watching the battle happen. No, he says to keep you from doing the things you want to do. He's talking about a divided you, meaning you play a role in this. You make the call. You're the deciding factor. Uh, In fact, back in high school, Uh, I was a line judge for volleyball games, and uh, I hated it, but I did it. Anyways, uh, I only did it one season. Anyway, I was a line judge for volleyball games this one season. Obviously, you have two teams battling out who's going to prevail, right? And there's this one game, no joke, where I had to make uh, the call if the ball was in or out. And if I made the call that the ball was in, one team's going to win. And if I made the ball, the call that it was out, the other team would, would win. Um, and here's the thing. I wasn't in the crowds watching the game, game go down, having no control over who would prevail. In this moment, I had to make a call and it would determine what side would win. And you see, when it comes to the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh, we aren't sitting on the sidelines just watching it uh, go down without any control. We have a choice, AKA our will, that casts the deciding vote, in or out. And thankfully, as believers, listen, we do not do this alone. We have the Holy Spirit 
inside of us, helping us to live out our beliefs in Jesus. We have the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which means we're not only set free from the bondage of the law, but we're also free from the bondage of sin. That's the spirit at work within us, transforming us into the image of Christ. And listen, Paul wants his readers to know that as we walk in this freedom and newness in Christ, when we become more like him, that this application piece is that we shouldn't use this freedom as an opportunity to just go crazy in the flesh, but instead we want to obey because of the sacrifice Christ made on our behalf. And because of that sacrifice, there is a war going on between our flesh and our spirit, and we have a choice to operate in either or, but we aren't in it alone. The Holy Spirit, again, who resides in us, helps us and transforms us to become more like Jesus. And so listen, as we follow Jesus, good works are then produced in us. We apply this truth by humbly submitting and operating in the spirit and not in the flesh. Which leads us to chapter six, and then we'll close here. Verse one, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We could just end there, but we're gonna keep going. Uh, listen, another application piece here, Paul says in all of this, if you see anyone caught in sin, what do you do? Restore them gently. Don't be too proud as if you, uh, if you yourself are without sin. You would be deceiving yourself. Instead, humbly restore them gently. You see, there's a big difference between legalism and grace. I love how one author said it. He said, legalism points the finger, whereas grace opens wide the arms and seeks to restore. It honestly reminds me of uh, the prodigal son in Luke, right? When the son goes crazy, disobeys the father, gets uh, to a place of just utter ruin and, didn't, and then decides to come back to the father, the father doesn't see him coming and, and point a finger condemning him. What does he do? He instead runs to him with open arms. And yet the older brother points the finger. He's proud. He isn't seeing that he too is a sinner in need of grace. I love how one commentator said it. He said, legalists love condemnation. Grace-filled people love restoration. It is only because of God's grace to us through his son Jesus that we are even able to walk in freedom. So may we walk in freedom. Don't be proud, be grace-filled people because of the grace that was given to you when you believed. And so in conclusion, uh, Paul wants the churches of Galatia to know this, that there is freedom in Christ and in Christ alone. You don't need to add anything to it. It is by grace through faith alone that we are saved. And I'll, uh, I'll wrap up Galatians with this. Uh, a couple days ago, uh, we just had my grandma, uh, her name was Meemaw's funeral service. I just got back yesterday. Uh, she passed of cancer last week, amazing woman of the Lord, loves Jesus and is now in glory with him, worshiping at his feet, which is just crazy to even think about that. 
And so anyways, I'm at my grandpa's house and I'm helping him write some thank you letters to some of the people who had given flowers, food, and have dropped off just some other things for him. And as I was leaving, he said, uh, Chrissy, come here. So a lot of y'all know my family calls me Chrissy. So he said, hey, Chrissy, come here. And he hands me some money. And I'm like, people, I do not want this money. And I'm like, people, I'm good. And he said, no, you take it. And he kissed me and he said, I'll see you soon. He, he, he said, put it in your pocket. So I put it in my pocket. And here's the thing, it, it, that money was a gift. Now imagine if I said, wow, people, this is amazing, but I, I need to go back in and, and write more cards. He'd be like, why? And I'd say, well, I, I need to earn it. I, I didn't do enough cards in there for the amount that you gave me. I, I need to do more work. Y'all, that would be such an insult to him who gave me the gift just because. You see, Peepaw wasn't giving me money because I wrote the thank you cards. He was giving me this free gift because he loved me. I wasn't working or writing the cards to get the gift. I was writing the cards because I loved him. And here's the thing. Jesus came along and said, here's a free gift. Take it. I sacrificed my life for you so that you could have eternity with me. And when we say, well, that's grace, great, but man, I really need to earn it. I need to add something to the gospel. I need to do good works in order to earn and be made right with you. It is an insult to the one who paid for your sins and mine. Jesus is willingly giving you this free gift of salvation by just believing in him. Jesus is saying, here's a gift. You don't have to earn it. All you have to do is accept it. Everlast, Paul is saying the good news of the gospel is that Christ made a way and all we have to do is believe in him. Paul is saying, don't go backwards. Don't try and, and add something to the good news of Jesus. Listen, works doesn't earn your salvation. Salvation comes through faith and believing in Christ alone. Christ came to fulfill the law and so we're free in him. And so stand firm in the freedom of Christ and don't use your freedom to indulge in sin. However, by means and help of the Holy Spirit residing within you, use your freedom to obey, to be servants of Christ. We are free thanks to Jesus. And so everlast, let us therefore walk in that freedom and be transformed by the Holy Spirit who's producing good works in us not so we can continue to earn our salvation, but because we are already saved in Christ. Christ is transforming us and producing in us good works to be used for his glory and his kingdom's sake. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.